This is an I Am Listening original podcast. Everybody's circumstances are different. Everybody can sit down with a mortgage advisor and get that advice. And if you can't borrow today, you'll know the plan to make sure you can borrow in time. So it's really crucial that you do get that advice. Welcome to the Property Podcast with Wards and me, Gary Wilson, the monthly podcast where I'll share with you all the latest Kent property news, as well as speaking with industry professionals to offer advice and tips that will hopefully help make your house moving journey a little less stressful. This podcast is brought to you by Wards. As Kent's local independent estate agent, Wards utilise years of experience and expertise to promote your property in the best possible light to the largest possible audience. For more information, receive an online valuation in less than 30 seconds or book an in-person appraisal of your property with us today. Head over to wardsofkent.co.uk to find out more about our unique approach. So welcome to episode three of the Property Podcast, where we're taking a look at all things related to mortgages today with our special guest, Gavin Welch, uh, your financial services sales director at Mortgage Matters Direct. So uh, thanks for joining us. The perfect man to be here for us today, Gavin. We'll start with uh, an easy one for you, I'm sure, but one that will flummox a lot of people and kind of wonder what it's all about. What is the role of a mortgage advisor? Do I really need one? I mean, I think you're probably going to say yes, but let's see. It's a great question. I think the decision to buy a house with a mortgage is a big decision. And I think if you want to do it yourself, you can go onto the internet, you can go online, you can go to a lender... Those decisions that you're making will be life-changing decisions. And it's right that a mortgage advisor that's there will be able to hold your hand through the whole process and give you advice that perhaps you, you weren't sure on. It's a big financial commitment. And, and let's, let's make it clear, a mortgage is just a large loan over a long period of time. Lots of people, perhaps in my industry, like to complicate things, but effectively that's what it is. If you use a mortgage advisor and have a mortgage advisor, that person will be able to hold your hand through the whole process but also look at bespoke mortgages for you because everybody's different. We've all got different incomes, different ages, different wants around our our property. So it's really important that that mortgage advisor understands your needs rather than just going to a bank and saying, can I borrow some money? Because you don't know what products you're going to get and you don't know if it's going to be spoke to you. So when it's the mortgage application process, I mean, just application forms, I know, will make a lot of people's blood run cold, just the thought of one, let alone when something plocks down in front of you. It's a form of any kind, really. How long does it take to get approved? What are the main factors that lenders are considering when they're assessing the mortgage applications? What are they looking at? So first of all, you've got to be thinking along the lines of how much do I want to borrow and how much can I borrow? Um, You can go online and look at affordability calculators and you can work it out yourself. But a mortgage advisor will, will sit there and work out through your income. The things that you need to take into consideration, number one is the income that you're bringing in. Number two, what's your deposit and how much can you put down to the property? Number three is how old you are. And there's lenders out there that will go into 70s and 80s now, whereas years gone past, the borrowing time was up to 65. Um, how much can you afford to pay back on a monthly basis? That's a big thing for people, especially with the cost of living as it is now, is can I afford to do this? And then you need to think about future plans. Is there any children? Are you going to have children? Or is it you're moving and perhaps going up market or down market? So there's lots of things to be factored in. And that application can be very, very quick. 
by meeting with a specialist, they'll walk you through the application, understand your needs, and then get what we call an agreement in principle. That's the biggest thing a person needs when they're going to buy a property is, can I borrow this money and has a bank said yes to me mm. in principle? Now, you're going to need, when you see a mortgage advisor, things like your pay slips, bank statements, proof of deposit, proof of who you are, and proof of where you live. And those fundamentals are really important for a mortgage advisor to get the best lending that they can for you. A lot of people ask me, how much can I borrow? Well, until we sit down and work that through, it's very difficult to understand. Just yesterday, I looked at um, one lender against another with a typical customer, and one lender would lend £20,000 more than the other. Now, your listeners might think, well, that doesn't sound like a lot. It could be the difference between a three-bed and a four-bed house, or a two-bed and a three-bed house, or a flat against a house, or that school catchment area. So it sounds a bit like a minefield, and it is, and that's what a mortgage specialist is all about. It's working through your income, your financial needs, and then finding that best product for you. And then also take into consideration your credit history. And that's one of the biggest things that people worry about is, how's a lender going to look at me when perhaps I've got some debt already? Well, sometimes that's a good thing because you can prove that you've been paying debt back. Right. And a lender would be more happy to perhaps lend to you. Secondly is that big deposit. If you've got a, a deposit of 5% or 10%, that gets you in the game. The bigger deposit, the easier it is for a lender to say, do you know what, you're putting more of your money down? So I'll be happy to lend a little bit more to you. So it's quite a minefield. Yeah. I think one of the things that I would add as well is that there are words and phrases that, just like the form itself really, can almost strike terror into your heart. And when uh, someone like yourself just tells you what it means in layman's terms, you go, oh, it's it's just that. And it's nearly always just that. It's usually always something less to worry about rather than something more. So I definitely would think that's a string to your bow as well. What different types of mortgages are available at the moment and how do borrowers decide? Because it is still them. You're going to be advising, of course, but it's still them deciding. How do they decide which one is the right well, one for them? If you go into a bank and you sit down with, say, a lender and, and ask them some, for, for money, they'll advise you on the products that they can give you. They're not going to advise you on what the whole of, what we call the whole of the intermediary market is doing. What does that mean to a customer? It's like a go-compare. A mortgage advisor will look at your scenarios and look at the best lender. You're risking it if you go into a lender and ask just for maybe Santander or Nationwide, and ask for what you can borrow. What they won't always do is walk you through where your financial plans are going and where you think you'll end up. So, for instance, you've got a fixed rate. Now, a fixed rate is, as it says on the tin, I'm going to be paying this amount back every month for a period of time, two, three, five, maybe 10 years. That gives your borrower a real understanding of what they can afford and how much it's going to be every month. It's immaterial what interest rates do. It's immaterial what the government does. If we cast our mind back to, to October last year when some decisions were made that were very quickly unpicked, that gave us some turmoil in the market and that affected interest rates. But if you're on a fixed rate for a period of time, you don't need to worry about it. You can put your head on the pillow at night and not worry. I can afford my mortgage. There are rates like tracker rates, and those rates will track what we call the Bank of England base rate or the bank's base rate. And as that comes down or goes up, your mortgage payments will go down or up accordingly. And that's a little bit of a risk, but some customers are out there at the moment that think that interest rates might reduce. So if I've got a tracker rate, it will keep going down and I'm paying less. But again, the risk is that goes the other way and you're paying more. Mm. So it is a bit, as I said earlier, a bit of a minefield. My guidance to anybody, especially a first-time buyer or maybe a home mover, is if you've got a figure in mind that you can afford 
and you want that surety that I'm going to pay that every month of fixed rates for you. Yeah. It's how long you fix that rate for that's then the next question. You might buy a place that you think, oh, I'm going to be here two years and we'll move. We don't want to be tied into that mortgage because then if you do move, you can, but the mortgage will have to come with you. Yeah. And, and therefore, you've got payments over that and early penalty Correct. If you want to come out of a mortgage, there'll be early repayment fees and things like that. So it's all about the individual thinking about the future and thinking, can I afford this mortgage now? And if that's, I can, will I be able to afford it in five, six, ten years' time? And do I want to worry about things? Because mm. there's a lot of other things you need to worry about, yeah. not just your mortgage payment when you move into a house. Yeah. Can you tell, do you have a good idea from someone's character when you meet them and you kind of tell the kind of person they are? Because obviously some people are very risk-averse and some people are a little bit more devil-may-care. Can you sort of, do you just have a little bet with yourself, like, I, th- I know the way these people might it's, go? It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I think the set of questions that you'd want to ask somebody is about what's your feelings, what do you think you'll be doing in, in five years' time, what's your plans? And, and people's plans do change, but the majority of people have a sort of plan in place that we're going to have children or, or the children are growing up, they need a bigger school or we need a big bedrooms or we need a bigger garden. So asking those questions normally get to the bottom of, yeah. do you need a fixed rate or would you rather have that risk? Um, it's a lot of remortgage customers that were affected back in October where interest rates rose and they were coming out of a fixed rate and looking for the next best deal. And that's where it really hurt. First time buyers... If you know your payment today and it's going to be the same and you can afford it, it doesn't really affect you. It's those people that perhaps are struggling to pay or getting close to struggling to pay their mortgage that are coming out of those rates that are going to be scared. And and I appreciate that. And sitting down with an advisor is the best way to work things through because you won't always know what we can do. What about interest only? That might be something people have heard about, not quite sure what it is. It sounds good because it feels like you're only paying a bit of something and that seems good and the, and the numbers seem to be smaller so what's the interest only so an interest only mortgage is, is as simple as you will just cover the interest on that mortgage for the period of time that you've set that up with the bank and at the end of that process so say it's 10 years 15 years 20 years in 20 years time you will still owe the amount of money you borrowed on day one so you would need to pay back that money in 20 years time you've covered all the interest but the actual money you borrowed from the bank is still outstanding, and therefore you would need to repay that. A lot of customers that perhaps have buy-to-let mortgages pay the interest and use the rent to either live off it or to perhaps invest or to perhaps increase their income. But in 20 years' time, their plan would be to sell that property and repay the bank. So interest-only can be quite useful, but if you're using an interest-only basis of repayment on your own personal house, you've still got to have in your mind... What do I do in 20 years' time when a, when a bank comes knocking for their money? And there are other products you can get to cover that. Is that right? That Days you, gone past, you used to have what they called endowment policies. Yeah. You can have investments that are linked um, that will hopefully repay, be enough to repay your debt in 20 years' time. But there's always that risk of something like COVID comes around the corner or there's a crash in the market and, and your value that you thought was in your investment portfolio isn't worth exactly what you need to repay the debt with a, with a lender. So you're saying in the past, are you saying that the endowment thing, that's not really a thing so much anymore? It's not so, so much now um, because they were used to repay mortgages um, and, and it's not always, you can't forecast how the, that endowment policy is actually going to perform and therefore there could still be a gap between your investment and the property that you need to repay in years to come.
So, Gavin, when it comes to mortgages, a bit like having on your car, you might get the no claims guarantee or whatever they call it, so that if you did have a crash, you've paid a little bit extra, and in that case, you'd sort it, and it covers any other problems there might be if you didn't have that no claims bonusy type thing that you pay on top. Is there something similar, because you've said... You know, people can put their head down, sleep at night, knowing that they've got their set payment. So let's, for example, on the fixed penalty, uh, on the fixed interest. But obviously, situations change. A lot of turmoil at the moment. A lot of people are sadly losing losing their jobs. Obviously, it's uh, everyone's sort of biggest nightmare. Really, how can they make sure that they're going to be able to pay their mortgage if that's the case, or simply can't you? It's it's a question, Gary. That that we don't doesn't get raised very often. However, it's probably the elephant in the room. If you think logically, how do you repay your mortgage? That's through the income that you earn. Now, if you're not able to earn that income for any reason, maybe you're off sick and your company don't pay you any sick pay, or that you're not earning, how are you going to be able to pay that mortgage? And that's going to be a question that's going to scare people, especially when it, with and when it happens. If, th- if people think back to COVID and being at home, and being furloughed, you could say that was the longest holiday people had and were being covered because people were being still paid, albeit not their normal income, but, but furlough money. If there was no furlough money coming in, what would have happened? And that's the same as, as not being able to work and not having any sick pay coming in, or worse, can't go back to work because you've got a critical illness, then that's when financial hardship really hits. And there are policies that can be put in place on day one of the mortgage, that will firstly protect the mortgage, but can also protect the income, uh, can protect the customer, and therefore, if the worst should happen, then you're not going to lose your house. And it's really important to think about things like income protection, critical illness insurance, life cover, because you don't know what's around the corner, and the last thing you want to have to happen if something does happen is to lose the house. And my, my team will always talk to our customers about the what ifs. And it's something that we always put our head in the sand for, perhaps, or it never happened to me, but it does. And having that question and that answer session with your mortgage advisor specialist will help you really work out the what ifs and what can I afford and what would happen if I wasn't able to, to pay my mortgage. So it's a really critical question and one we perhaps sometimes shy away from, but it's the best time to do it when you're sitting down looking at that mortgage payment. So it's been a bit of a tumultuous time, I think, um, at least historically, over the last few months, over the last year, with the mortgage rates. What are the current mortgage rates, and how have they changed in the past year? What does it mean to people? Okay, um, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's a question that is on the, on the lips of everybody, especially remortgage customers. What happened back in October um, forced an interest rate rise, um, and then we saw interest rate rising quite significantly over a short period of time. I think if your listeners think back, some of those will be out there, remember back in 25, 26, 27 years ago, interest rates were up to about 10%. Um, Recently, we've been in a situation where they've been very low, almost free money. Um, That's not going to last, and and it hasn't. We was always thinking that it would would start to rise at some stage. Um, I wouldn't wouldn't want your listeners to be put off by that. As a first-time buyer, if you can afford your monthly repayment now, on the 4 or 5% interest rates that are there, then you'll know that that's how much you can afford and you'll be able to fix it. Your mortgage broker, when you're entering into a deal, will be 
able to present all the facts about those mortgages and, and give you a forecast if interest rates were to rise, how much your monthly payment might rise to. So it's really important to do that. Current rates, uh, a, a 90% loan to value uh, over a five-year period around about the 4.3%. Again, each bank is different. So some of the banks will cheapen their rates to try and get you through the door and, and, and lend to you. Um, if you've got a bigger deposit or you're moving, 75% loan to value is around about the 3.95 figure over a five-year fixed period. But there are so many rates out there and there's so many good rates for different people. It's really important that you do sit down and, and look at that because, again, as I said throughout this podcast, your your mortgage advisors will be able to advise on those rates um, and put your mind at rest. How do we know... Because people will wonder this, I think. Oh, I know I did. Like, are you inclined to go with any particular lender that's, you know, that you're mates with and that kind yeah. of thing? I think people think that kind of thing. I it's know I do because I'm quite cynical. Yeah. It is a brilliant question. How do they know you're going, so, you've always got their best interests? I don't mean you personally, but one uh, mortgage advisor might, I definitely will go and get the best thing for them, not the one that's their best deal with Dave who works. Yeah, know, I'd be, I'd be very naive to think that doesn't go on. We are regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and therefore we need to make sure that we prove that we've given our customers best advice. And the industry is going through a change from the 1st of July onwards um, where we are making sure even more legislation is in there to protect the consumer. It's really important when you go and see your mortgage advisor that you have some questions in your mind about the transparency of what this person is going to do. You can ask for a list of how that mortgage advisor is being paid by a lender. So they can produce what we call a procuration list and you can see which rates the lenders are paying that broker to make sure that your deal is going through with them. So that, that, that'll that help. Secondly, there are many advisors out there that perhaps would ask you for an arrangement fee. That arrangement fee could be paid when you get an agreement in principle. And my biggest concern is that you don't have to pay for an agreement in principle. If you're a first-time buyer and you're not sure, don't ever pay for anything. You don't need to pay for an agreement in principle. You don't need to pay for an arrangement fee. You don't need to pay for a mortgage in principle. What you do need to do is to understand how that person is being paid, what commissions they're charging you personally, because there are plenty of brokerages out there that will charge you or ask you for what we call a success fee, which is at the end of the process when you've got a house and you're moving in. Let's be honest, we don't need a mortgage advisor if we haven't found a house. So don't pay anything until you find that house. And then you'd expect that mortgage advice to be very transparent and be able to write to you in plain black and white English how much they're making from the deal, how much they're going to charge you for the deal, and ultimately how long you've got with that mortgage offer from that lender to get the deal done. And I would always recommend going to a brokerage where perhaps they do everything for you so you don't have to worry about it. You give them your details, they get you the best deal, and then they get you to exchange and therefore set of keys in your hands. I don't think a lot of people realise that there's a lifetime ISA out there that's set up by the government where, as a first-time buyer, you can pay up to £4,000 a year into that ISA and the government will then boost that fund by a further £1,000. So having a pot of £5,000. That's got to be used for a deposit on a house and you can only be between the ages of 18 and 39. So you've got to have it before your 40th birthday. And you can do that every year. So if you're able to save 4000 you're going to get a little bit of an increment from the government, another £1,000 every year that you put 4000 in, 
and therefore increasing your deposit to allow you to get onto that ladder. I'm not sure that everybody knows it's out there and uh, I think it's really important that your listeners do know that because then they can start to look at where where that lifetime ISA is and get effectively some support from the government to buy a house. So is that just is that for anyone or is that for first-time buyers? You have to be a first-time buyer and if you're setting up with a partner who's also a first-time buyer, you can save 4000 and get the extra 1000 and so can your partner. So effectively, both saving £4,000 each, 8000 and taking you to £10,000 in year one and so on until you decide to buy your property. Once you've got into the mortgage, over time, are there things that borrowers can do to bring the payments down at all um, over the period of the actual agreement? Yes, they can. Um, most lenders will allow you to pay up to 10% of the, of the amount borrowed on a yearly basis. Now, that's great, but that's quite a lot of money. Even just overpaying your mortgage by, if you can afford it, £50 a month. If you think about that over a 25-year period, you're reducing the amount of interest that that bank's going to charge you on that loan. And therefore, you could save a year, maybe a little bit longer on your mortgage payments by overpaying when you can. And you can set up direct debit to do that. You can just make one-off payments. Be clear on the terms and conditions of your mortgage because every lender is different um, and be be certain that you're not going to start to pay what we call early redemption penalties. Um, But if you can afford to pay on your mortgage, please do because that reduces the amount of interest you're paying over that term and that mortgage. Ask our expert. Time for our ask our expert question. That's you, Gavin. Um... This is from one of our listeners wondering about being self-employed. How difficult is it for someone who's self-employed to get a mortgage? Does it make a difference? Is it worse? Uh, what's the most important thing that they need to take into account when they're applying as a self-employed person for a mortgage? Okay, so self-employed, you would need a minimum of two years' worth of trading accounts. Some lenders want three, some will work on two, some will work on projected profits, some will work on what you've, what your tax return states. The guidance I'll give all of your listeners that are self-employed is you need to make sure that when you fill out your tax return, that's the amount of money that you've earned this year and that's the amount of tax that you'll pay. That will decide, help you decide or the lender decide on how much they'll lend you. If you're not putting that income down, then expect the lender to turn around and say, well, your books don't show you're earning that much. It's showing you're earning X amount and therefore we'll only lend you Y amount. And it's a question that I, I get quite often is that how much can I borrow? Well, you need to make sure that all of your income is on those accounts and then we will ask the lender how much they will lend you. So it's over a two, maybe a three-year period. All lenders are different. As I said at the start of the show, you need to be sitting with a specialist to walk you through each lender's requirements. And that's the same for all borrowers, really. And like I said, you can can go to one lender or or, or lend you X, go to another lender or lend you Y. That'll be things that are in your situation, i.e. if you've got children, a lender will lend, sometimes lend you less. Uh, there are things that people, you know, if I, th- I think of nurses and when they're doing banked hours, some lenders will only look at your basic salary. Other lenders will look at your banked hours on top. So everybody's circumstances are different. Everybody can sit down with a mortgage advisor and get that advice. And if you can't borrow today, you'll know the plan to make sure you can borrow in time. So it's really crucial that you do get that advice. So one final question then. What's the most common? I mean, you've covered it all, but just to sort of put it, uh, sort of distill it down, um, what's the most common mistake or mistakes that home buyers make when they're applying for a mortgage and how can they avoid them? So, what are the big pitfalls <clears throat> people take away from this podcast that can have them lodged in their head, the things to avoid? Number one, honesty and right. transparency. 
the, the, the thing that trips up most people is what we call undisclosed credit, where you haven't told the bank or your mortgage advisor that you've got a credit card somewhere. Whether it's a small amount or a large amount, be truthful in your answers because that shapes the advice that that mortgage advisor can give you. The last thing you want to do is to apply for a mortgage with a bank and then the bank do a credit check and they find out that you've got perhaps a, a credit card or a loan or even that student loan that you, th- you thought you'd paid off. That can affect the lending. It will affect the lending. And then there's a credibility issue then with the lender to say, do I believe in the rest of this information that this has been provided? So be truthful with your, your credit. Um, the other thing that you really, really need to think about is can I get the deposit together? Have I got the deposit together? Where is it coming from? Because lenders will need you to prove where that deposit has, has come from. And if it's your own money and it's in savings, great. A lot of people, bank of mum and dad, will begin perhaps deposits from their family. Again, we need to prove that that's where that money's come from. So, and again, like I said, all lenders are different. So one lender will say yes to perhaps a friend offering you the deposit or giving you the deposit, whereas other lenders will say, no, it's got to be from immediate family. So it's really important to sit down and work through your finances, as I said before, with your, with your, your, your mortgage advisor. Thank you for all of that, Gavin. Brilliant stuff. Now, don't forget, it's always a good idea to consult with a financial advisor, solicitor or estate agent to help you navigate the home buying process and answer any additional questions you might have. Thank you for joining us this month, Gavin. Brilliant stuff. Uh, Gavin is the Financial Services Sales Director at Mortgage Matters Direct, uh, sharing all his knowledge and expertise with us. Thanks so much. And you can check out this episode and previous episodes at im-listening.com. .co.uk and don't forget to check out the property podcast with Wards next month when we'll be talking all about conveyancing. There's another scary word. So Gary, one thing I would say about conveyancing is that sometimes that could be the biggest decision of this process because if you get a really good conveyancer and they're hot on properties, then you're likely to make sure this deal gets done. But if you put yourself in the seller's shoes... Sellers will want to sell their property as quick as they can. And if you've got a slow solicitor, they might have had another offer on the table that could get the job done quicker. And they may turn to another person buying the house because they're in a stronger position than you. So advice to all of your listeners, if you're buying a property, number one, if you're getting mortgage finance, get it from a mortgage advisor that's linked perhaps to an estate agency because they can find you a house and they'll help you find you a house rather than you going out and sourcing the house yourself. Number two, get yourself a really good conveyancer. So be financially prepared and be legally prepared. Well, if anything ever made you need to listen to the next episode, that was it. Thanks again, Gavin. Uh, See you then and make sure you hit the subscribe button. Thanks for listening to The Property Podcast with Wards. If you'd like more information on the subjects that we've covered in today's episode, just head over to the Wards website at wardsofkent.co.uk or you can follow us on our social media channels. You can check out our latest episodes at www.im-listening.co.uk or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This has been an I Am Listening original podcast. For more information, head over to our website, im-listening.co.uk. 